It is a dry and thirsty land at times, isn't it? Sermons like this morning uh, resonate with us because um, a lot of life is trusting God, waiting on God uh, in the midst of of difficulty. and there is a lot of times that you have to trust his heart because you can't see uh, his uh, his hand. Um, there are times when you uh, you get the they used to call it before uh, you would you would go into ministry or or c- confirm that you thought the Lord was calling you to preach. You you know you you have the the can't help it. So they would say you can't help but do. Anything else? There are times you get the you get the same thing in life. You 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 know you feel like you can't go another step forward, and you know you can't turn around. And to sit down in the middle of the road is futile. And so you just put one foot in front of the other, and you know, and and trust the Lord. This morning, just that passage resonates with me when I think about you know Joseph being seventeen. Restarted on that journey, and you know Bailey's 17, so I've got a living picture of what a 17-year-old, you know, was was like, and so I begin to to put him in the story of of you know traveling the 40 miles to go look for uh, for his his brothers, and and then you know being being thrown in a cistern and carried down, and then you know what. So he's 18, Joseph's 18, whenever he starts serving in Potiphar's house. And how long was he serving in Potiphar's house? We're not told. But not long after that, he gets placed in the prison. And so you have that 13-year span between that and when he's 30, when he finally ends up in, you know, in Pharaoh's, Pharaoh's court. And uh, when you start thinking about... Uh, about you know thinking about it like that and and putting yourself in the in the in the passage in the story how would I be responding if this happened and then this happened and then this happened and and then you know right at the right at the last moment um, you, uh, you you think you're going to be delivered and then it's two more years before Pharaoh has his dream you know and and is is called upon you. Um, I was talking to Charlie and Nancy this morning after the uh, situation where they were uh, they were in Amsterdam for an extra day waiting on a visa for one of our international students to uh, to arrive and and it came they were saying this morning and everything seemed to be falling into place and you know it's over and they get to the airport and they go to check in and the woman says uh, I'm sorry your flight has been canceled <laughs> you know. Uh, and then uh, you know you're just at the Joseph is at the height, and then you know remember me in just three days I'm going to be delivered, and then you know down to the down to the bottom. Now obviously they're here, so they got them on another flight, and they had to reroute them around, and and you just don't know which where the journey is uh, is going to lead you. So you can you know you can kick against the pricks as. The Bible says you can hold on with white knuckles, whatever you want to do. But, but however you go along for the ride, um, you know God is the one that needs to be in the uh, in the driver's seat. Um, he's not the co-pilot; he's the pilot. Amen. He is. Well, open your Bibles to Psalm 11. 
Psalm 11. And we're actually going to look at Psalm 10 first, because I think Psalm 9 and 10 go together. I won't take you all the way back to 9, but read that in your spare time. Psalm 9 and 10 go together with Psalm 11. Psalm 11 specifically tells us that this is a psalm of David. And Psalm 9 and 10 speak of where is God whenever bad things happen. Um, when we were in uh, in Israel, we 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 went to the Holocaust Museum on the last day, Yad Vashem, and and you go through and you see the pictures of the bodies and the horrific things and people standing silent by while human beings made in the image of God are loaded onto cattle carts and just a just a depressing depressing place and you're just overwhelmed with the evil of you know, of men and of, of Hitler. And, and that's how we started the day. And we ended the day at the garden tomb. And at first glance, you go, wow, that's, that's a mixed bag. That's kind of a, you know, that's hard. You spend half the day focusing on the Holocaust, and then you're supposed to get up for, you know, the wow, here is the garden tomb. But, but in reality, those two things go perfectly together. And it, and it answers the question that's asked in, in Psalm 10. Why do you stand afar off, O Lord, in verse 1? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Why does it seem like you're, you're not around? The wicked in his pride persecutes the poor. Let them be caught in the plots which they have devised. For the wicked boasts of his heart's desire. He blesses the greedy and renounces Yahweh. The wicked is is in his proud countenance, does not see God. God is in none of his thoughts. And where is God when things like the Holocaust happen? Evil just just runs seemingly rampant. And we have a similar Holocaust here, except 46, 47 million babies have been murdered since Roe v. Wade. And a lot of people stand by and watch that happen. How can such evil happen? And then where does the garden tomb come into that? And the question is, <clears throat> why? What has God done? Why doesn't He do something about evil? And the answer is He did. And what God did, His answer to evil is the resurrection. It's the resurrection from the dead. God could have left us in our sin-depraved condition. He could have shut the door on the whole thing in the garden after the fall, but he didn't out of, out of his mercy. He could have left us in our sin. He could have left us in the fall. He could have left us in the condition. And, and, and what you see in Hitler, what you see in abortion, what you see in other things, the callousness of the human heart just reveals the depth of depravity, of how deep human beings can truly go if, if their, if their hearts are are un, unleashed and, and unhinged. And the answer to, to sin and evil and wickedness in the, in the world is the resurrection. Sin brought forth death. Sin brought forth wickedness in the world. And yet Christ triumphed over death, hell, and the grave. The resurrection goes through death, conquers death, overcomes evil, and comes out the other side 
And through the resurrection, you are raised to spiritual life and then ultimately life anew with Christ in, in a new heaven and a new earth where there is no sin, where there is no evil, where there is no sickness, where there is, is none of these things. And in Psalm 10, the psalm talks about where is God when these bad things happen? And Psalm 11 focuses on a believer's response whenever they see wickedness or difficulty come in, into their life and, and they don't know where to turn. And, and when faced with, with danger or a fearful situation, a believer has two options. Two options. And I'm indebted to Dr. Bill Barrick for this, this outline tonight. If you have a study Bible, you can probably see the outline there. Believer has two responses, and it's flight, it's run, or it's it's faith. It's flight or faith. Uh, you know the old saying, whenever you're whenever you're a kid, the you know, you have two responses to you know to the bully. You either uh, you know you either fight or flight. Well for a Christian it's either faith or flight. It's either stand and trust in God, no matter what's going on around you, no matter where He seems to be or doesn't seem to be, or it's, it's flee, it's, it's give up, it's, it's walk away, it's, it's going from, move from doubt into despair, it's, it's grumbling like the Israelites did in the midst of the, of the wilderness, it's, it's sitting down in the middle of the road. It's, it's whatever it might be. And here, David, there are actually two men giving answers to the question that's asked in, in Psalm 10 about where is God when bad things happen or when difficulty comes or when you're in a situation like Joseph. There are two people asking or giving answers to that question. What is a believer to do when that happens? And the first man's answer is to flee, and that's in verses 1 through 3. And the, and the second man's answer is to have faith, and that's in verses 4 through, 4 through 7. And there you always have the two answers. For a believer, in every situation that you face, you can, you can flee or you can, you can have faith. Now let me give you the background to... To, or what we believe the background is to this psalm. So turn back to 1 Samuel, verse 26, if you would. 1 Samuel 26, verse 20. And I'll show you why we believe that, that, that this psalm is related to this. The text doesn't specifically say that, but it does quote something from, from David's experience. Now, King David has a problem. David has a problem before he's a king. And the problem that David has is with the king. It's with King Saul. And you remember the story of David and Goliath, don't you? You remember the story where, where uh, Saul and his army takes a defensive position against the Philistines that are, that are running military forays into, into Israelite territory. They go in, they penetrate, they... You know, they, they attack, they pillage, and then they, then they come back. And, and here in, in this story of David and, and Goliath, you have, you have one of these times when the Philistines are pressing in 
across the hill country, the Shevelah in, in Israel. They're pressing towards Jerusalem, coming from the Mediterranean Sea. Philistines were the, the sea people. And Saul hears about it, and he takes a defensive position with the, with the armies of, of Israel. And he stops them, basically, by putting a lot of troops on the border, if you will. And then you know the story, Goliath comes out and, and he's nine foot nine inches tall. He's a pretty big dude. You know, he would, he would make some of the NBA players, uh, today look, look small. I think if my memory serves me correctly, his, you know, his, uh, uh what is it that weighs 150, 50 pounds? Is it the sword that weighs 150 pounds? Huh? His armor weighs 150 pounds. The head of his spear weighs like 15 pounds. I mean, this is a big dude. And he comes out in the field and he says, Hey, you know what? Let's not lose a bunch of men here. Here's what we'll do. We will just have, we'll just have a, you know, a cage match right here in the middle of the field. And I'll be the, the guy from the Philistine side, and you just send over an Israelite, anybody that you want, and whoever wins, then we'll say that's who wins the whole battle. And, and this is not a battle between, between David and Goliath. This is a battle between gods. This is a battle between Goliath's gods, little g. And he comes out there and he mocks the God of Israel. And David comes, and he's sent on a journey by his father to see how it goes with his brothers at the battlefield. And they, he hears. He's mocking the, the living God, and, and he gets upset about that. He goes to Saul and says, why, why are you letting this guy do this? You can't let this guy do this. And, and you know the story. David ends up going out and, and standing in the, in the field. And, and there in that, in that confrontation between David and Goliath, you see that this is really about, about gods. It says that Goliath curses David by his gods and says, Am I a dog that you send this boy out here with a, with a stick and, and slings? And, and, and David comes back and says, You know, you, you'll, you'll not defy the, the God of Israel. I will defeat you today so that all we know that there is a God in Israel. That's what he says. This is a battle between, between the gods. And, and you know the story. David, David rushes towards Goliath, takes the sling, hits him in the forehead. The, the giant falls face first in worship, acknowledging that David's God is the one true and living God, just like the, the little idols of Dagon did whenever they, they put the Ark of the, of the Covenant in, in Dagon's uh, palace. And something happens after that that sets up this story in 1 Samuel. When everybody's celebrating over who's winning the battle, you remember the girls, the ladies come out, they're dancing... And they say, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And it says something happened in Saul's heart. Jealous. And that starts a problem. And, and it moves on. And you have Saul actually pursuing David, trying to kill him. He hides in the caves of, of En Gedi. 
Whenever we went there this this time, it was actually raining in Jerusalem. They shut the shut in Gedi down out of fear of flash floods coming through. But the story of Engedi has already happened in in Saul in, in First Samuel twenty six. Um, David spares Saul's life, and now he's getting ready to spare Saul's life a second time. And it says in verse twenty. So now do not let my blood fall to the earth before the face of Yahweh. For the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea as when one hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will harm you no more because my life was precious in the eyes of this day. Indeed, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. The key is, verse 20, when David says to Saul, the king of Israel has come out to seek a flea. I am, I am a nobody. Why are you pursuing me? I am like a flea. You're pursuing me as like one who hunts a, a little bird that flees into the mountains. Now turn back to, to Psalm 11. That's the second time that David spares Saul and David appeals to Saul. And says, I could have killed you a second time, but, but I didn't. Why are, you, why are you chasing me? And look at verse 1 of Psalm 11. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain, flee as a partridge to, to your mountain? And so, so there's the connection, the believed connection between, between that situation and David writing about it. Whether this has a direct connection or David is remembering this difficult circumstance, the truth that's in this psalm stands for us just as it did for David. You can have two responses, light or faith. And so the first man's answer to what is a believer to do is to flee, and the second man's answer is to have, is to have faith. And before you can decide which one of those that you want to do, you need to see the outline of why David here says that we need to have, have faith. So let's read Psalm 11, and then we'll, we'll see why you can put your faith and trust in the Lord rather than flee. It says, In the Lord I put my trust. How can you say to my soul, Flee as a bird to your mountain? For look, the wicked bend their bow and make ready the arrow on the string, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence, His soul hates. Upon the wicked, He will rain coals, fire, and brimstone. And a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. I know I already know the answer to this question before I ask it, but have you ever been faced with the temptation to either give up, give in, or flee under, under pressure? You could probably give it in any number of ways. You may not have ever had a king chasing after you to where you're hiding in the caves. You may not have ever been in prison like 
like Joseph or or doing something wrong. But surely at some point in your life you may have been accused of something that you didn't do and you didn't defend yourself. You let the Lord defend you. You'd be tempted in a number of ways in, in responding to your circumstances. It could be literal physical harm. Christians today face physical harm. Most of the time not in the, in the U.S., but Christians today all across the world must choose harm or, or betray, betray their God. And to choose God takes faith. They have a choice, flee or have faith. You may have been in a situation where, where you're witnessing. Somebody rejects the, rejects the gospel or asks you a question in a, in a situation where you could tell the answer that they want, and, and you have to stand. And you're tempted in those moments to either flee, to back down, to soft-pedal, to, or, to, or to stand and, and have faith and trust God. I, I can remember speaking to one of my board members whenever I worked for, for Anthem and went to him to talk about some things with, to do with the business. I'm their chief operating officer, and I'm in a doctor's office, and I'm waiting on him. He's a physician. He's in a large practice of probably seven or eight men, and very well respected in the in the community. And and the Lord opens up a door for me to you know to to share with him uh, about Christ, and and I'm just just getting into it. You know, I'm building relationship with him, and. And um, and I mentioned something about about well, I quoted um, you know we're about one man sending it into the world and I and I, I said Adam and he just cuts me off and he says Adam I mean you don't believe that there's a literal Adam and Eve do you I mean that's just the way that he he put it and I can remember my heart at that moment it felt it felt like everything came to a grinding halt. What am I going to say? This this guy's on my board of directors. And the temptation is to say, well, you know, I mean, it doesn't matter whether you believe in Adam and Eve. What, what matters is whether you believe in sin. And you know you've done the wrong thing. Figure out how to soft-pedal it. But you know, as well as I do, it does matter whether there's an Adam and an Eve. Because Jesus said there was an Adam and an Eve. And you're tempted at that moment to flee or to have faith. And I can remember thinking, what's this guy going to think of me? And these just, just my, just went from clearly trying to present the gospel to him to a million thoughts coming into my mind. And, and I remember I said to him, well, well, yes, I do. Don't you? Well, I mean, I heard of him whenever I was an altar boy in, in the Catholic Church, but, you know, that was always just, I mean, they, they, they just believed that was, you know, stories in the Bible trying to ex- explain how we, you know, how we got here. You can be tempted in a lot of different ways to have faith or to flee. Uh, you can be pressured to compromise in, in some way. You can be, you can find yourself as a young person in school, maybe as a 17-year-old being ridiculed for, for being a believer or taking a biblical stand on on something. 
And in any case, whatever the circumstances, you have to choose in those moments. And you have to choose. And this psalm says that you can trust God and tells you why you can have faith in God in those circumstances. You can have faith because the Lord is a refuge. The Lord is in control and the Lord is righteous. And that's the outline. If you guys want to bring that up, if you haven't already. The Lord is a refuge in verses 1 through 3. The Lord is in control in verses 4 through 6. And the Lord is righteous, verse 7. That's how Psalm 11 answers the question of Psalm 10. What's a believer to do when when it seems like wickedness triumphs or God is not there or you're in the midst of the journey like Joseph and you don't know what the Lord is doing? You, You don't flee. You can have faith because these things are true about about the Lord. Psalm 55, verse 6 says, Oh, that I had wings like a dove, that I would fly away and be at rest. There are times when you're in the crucible of these circumstances that you just want to get out of it, right? I just, man, I wish I was like a bird. I wish I was like a dove. I'd just fly right out of this situation. But that's not what God has for you. And in those moments, the psalm tells us where to fly. It tells us not to fly out of it, but to fly by faith to God because He is, he is a refuge. God can be trusted. Look at verse 1. In Yahweh I put my trust. That's where I put my trust. Trust when I'm tempted. Can God be trusted? That's what faith is. Faith answers that question. Yes, God can be trusted. Has the Lord ever let you down at any moment in your life? I mean, answer the question. Has He? You know, well, Christians are supposed to answer that way. But you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, you've let the Lord down, but you know in your personal experience that what the Bible says about that is absolutely true. God has never, ever failed you, no matter the circumstance. Even when you've been unfaithful, even when you did flee, even when you should have had faith and you didn't, the Lord has never, ever failed. You can trust the Lord. And here there is a trusted friend saying to David, flee, protect yourself. Flee as a bird to your, to your mountain. For look, the, it's dangerous. The wicked bend their bow. They make ready the arrow on their string. I mean, I mean you get the picture here. This is not just guys standing at attention with their, with their weapons. I mean, this is a guy, he's got the bow drawn. The arrow's on the string. It's pointed at you. I mean, he's emphasizing to David it's, it's dangerous. The enemy is hiding. He's ready. He, he, he makes ready like an assassin, a, a sudden, unanticipated attack. They make, that they may shoot secretly at the upright in, in heart. Have you ever been blindsided by something? hit with a question or hit with an attack uh, from, from friend or foe. 
There's probably a bow drawn at your soul right now. There's probably an arrow on the string because Satan seeks those whom he may devour. So the New Testament tells us to be vigilant, right? The New Testament says that you're not to flee from the fact that it's dangerous. The New Testament says it is dangerous. You have an adversary that lusts after your soul. He's seeking whom he may devour. And those that he devours are the ones that that aren't prepared, that don't put their trust in the, in the Lord. I mean, this, this friend says, flee, it's, it's, very, it's very dangerous. It's harder to respond whenever you're ambushed than whenever the enemy comes right at you. Okay? Stand toe-to-toe. I mean, if, if, you like, if you like a fight, there's probably something wrong with you. But I would much rather deal with something straight on than someone who you know, slithers in with a sucker punch. You know what a sucker punch is, right? That's West Virginia talk. I've had one of those before. It's not fun. And here, that's what this man says. They're there, and you're not even going to know they're coming. They're going to waylay you. And the man appeals to David's knowledge of this to convince him. And David says, I will trust in the, in the Lord. And so, so the, man, the man goes on. He now ups the ante. You know, it's it's not just it's not just a, a dangerous situation that you need to flee from. It's not just that dangerous situation is going to come at you like an assassin when you're when you're when you're not looking. It, look at verse three. If the foundations are destroyed, what what can the righteous do then? He now ups the ante. To, what if it all falls apart? What if the foundations fall? The, it's only found here in the Hebrew, this word for foundation. It's a reference to civil and social society. What if, what if the wheels come off of everything? He's saying, what if, what if Israel falls? What if, what if you stand alone in, in your family, in your culture, in your, in your place? What if, what if it's not just hostile? but it's totally accepting of everything that's contrary to what you stand for. What will you do then? What if it all falls apart? What will the righteous do do then? That's the first question. This man, whoever it is, is saying to David, flee. And yet David answers what's his answer begins in verse 4 the lord is in his holy temple the lord's throne is in heaven his eyes behold his eyelids test the sons of men the lord tests the righteous but the wicked the wicked that you just got done talking about the one who loves violence his soul hates and upon the wicked they will get what's coming to them he will rain coals and fire and burning of fire and brimstone and burning with the wind. It's a reference to the same language of Sodom and Gomorrah. He echoes back to what what any good Israelite would would know. David's answer is the Lord is my refuge. I won't flee. If I flee anywhere, I'll flee to the Lord, even though it's dangerous, even if 
all of the foundations are destroyed, even if I'm the only one standing and Israel falls, what will the righteous do? The Lord is my refuge. That's where I'll run. Because the Lord is in control. Verse 4, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. When he says the Lord is in His holy temple, it just literally means the Lord is in our midst. It's... He's even, it's meaning Jerusalem. The Lord is in the midst of His people. He's in His, in His holy temple. And the holy temple was, was the holy tabernacle. It was where the presence of God dwelled. It was the holy God living, Yahweh living in the midst of, of His, of His people. Or it's a parallel to the next line. The, the Lord's throne is, is in heaven. He's he's above all and rules over all. He's the Lord is is exactly where I am is what David's saying, and he's near to his own. He's he's there if there's a bow that's drawn against me. He's there if the foundations fall. And the Lord is in control. It's the idea of a throne. Not only that, he, he proves men. He knows who's righteous and who's and who's not. And he and he shows who are his sons through trials. Look at verse five. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. You know what it says? It says the same thing the Hebrews says. That one of the ways that you know you're a believer is because God chastises you because He sends you through the trials. It says the same thing that James does. That going through things like Joseph went through, going through the things that have just been described in this first psalm, going through those and the Lord bringing you through them is the way that God confirms he confirms by your response of faith that you are His own and it yields the peaceable fruit of, of righteousness. One of the folks on the trip was talking about how safe they felt in Israel even though you had all these people standing around in different places with you know, 19, 20-year-olds with, you know, with a gun, military, and you always saw them in the same position. You know, the gun's hanging in a sling and it's pointing down, but their finger is always always on the trigger. And somebody made the comment, I feel a whole lot safer around people that live with their finger on the trigger than somebody who has a gun in a desk drawer that they haven't touched for four or five years except whenever they last pulled it out and, and shot it. Who is more prepared for battle? Somebody who is is faced with, with the potential of battle on a daily basis or somebody who has peace for decades at their borders? Who would be more ready if the enemy comes? I'll tell you who's ready. It's the, those who live with their finger on the, on the trigger. The Lord proves us, tests us through circumstances. And you are strong whenever you go through things like that and you become weak and slow and lethargic in your faith whenever you typically, like me, go through 
times of blessing and plenty when there's no difficulty. Are you, are you closer to the Lord? Are you growing greater spiritually whenever things are good and you're fat, dumb, and happy as it, as it said? Or whenever, whenever the wolf's at the door and you have to trust in the Lord? And you know the answer to that. He proves men. He tests them, he says. The metaphor for tries here is like the melting of metal to, to remove impurities. The Lord melts the metal of the righteous to remove the impurities. But the wicked, the one who loves violence, his soul hates, meaning he, he allows them to go in their own direction. It's exactly what Romans 1 says, isn't it? The Lord gives people that continually suppress the truth and unrighteousness exactly what they want. And you do not want the Lord to give you what you want. You want the Lord to give you what you need, regardless of, of what you want. And he says, and that testing comes, and, and the Lord purifies His own, but He allows the wicked to go in their own direction, in the end, this is what will happen to the wicked. Upon the wicked he'll rain coals of fire and brimstone and, and a burning wind. Sodom and Gomorrah, 19, Genesis 19.24. Fear of judgment comes from the knowledge of sin. And the Bible says, for a believer, perfect love casts out all sin. What's the metaphor? What's this, the illustration that Romans 13 gives? If you've done nothing wrong, you don't have to worry about the police officer coming up behind you, right? They do not bear, the government doesn't bear the sword in vain, but if you're a good guy and you've done nothing wrong, you don't have any reason to fear. People fear judgment, fear standing before God because they have a knowledge of sin. They know that they're guilty before God. And yet Hebrews says that that the blood of bulls and goats, the sacrifices that, that were given then, and whatever you use to salve your conscience before the Lord, it doesn't cleanse the conscience, but Christ, His blood, cleanses the conscience from dead works to serve the living God. You know you're no longer afraid to go before the Lord because you know you've been forgiven. Perfect love, complete love, casts out all fear. And yet the wicked here will will receive their end. That shall be the portion of their cup. Verse 6 says, Trust the Lord because He's a refuge. You can trust the Lord because He's in control. He will sift His own and He will reserve the unrighteous for judgment and He'll bring that judgment and you can trust in the Lord finally in verse 7 because He's, he's righteous. He's right. Whatever the Lord does is Right. It's not a matter of whether you think it's right or testing the Lord. He's righteous. The Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the, the upright. You can trust the Lord in the fire because whatsoever Jesus does, He, he does well. Just as we sang the song this morning. So maybe this week or in the future as you're faced with the question of being like Joseph or when it seems like evil is triumphing, you can, you can have two responses. You can flee or you can have faith. And David says to us tonight, you can have faith because 
the Lord will be your refuge. He's in control and He is He's righteous.